the condominium market is hot as I've ever seen. It's insane. I can tell you that I expect condominiums to rise between 15 and 25% this year over last year. Welcome to Post City Magazine's 14th Annual Real Estate Roundtable. This event was recorded virtually in conjunction with the Centre for Real Estate and Urban Economics at the Rotman School of Business Management, University of Toronto. The Remax Collection and Great Golf are presenting sponsors for this event. This year's event is moderated by Post City Magazine's Managing Editor Nikki Gill and Editorial Director Ron Johnson. This is part two of an unscripted and unrehearsed discussion involving 12 leading real estate experts regarding the draw of urban living versus the impact of remote working on the Toronto real estate market. Specifically, the panel focuses on the urban condominium real estate market. We're going to talk about condos as well. I'll let Ron pick up on that. The downtown Toronto condo market has been one of the hardest hit since the pandemic. Immigration halted, foreign students remain at home. Many young people have moved back in with their parents. Uh, Josh Flagg, as LA's leading luxury realtor, you guys might be a bit ahead of the curve compared to us. What are you seeing in the condo-heavy downtown LA market? Downtown, you say downtown. In Los Angeles, downtown is the last place you want to go. Condo, house, TP, anything. Like that is not somewhere you want to buy a home. So uh, when we're referring to condominiums, we're referring mostly to those in West Hollywood or what we call the Wilshire Corridor or some in Beverly Hills. For years, Los Angeles was not a a condo city. It was just not, it was always just houses. And mostly I believe the reason being is that, well, I tell everybody that when you buy a property, you're buying the dirt. You're not actually buying the structure. The structure is a diminishing asset. The actual structure you're in goes down in value. The land is what appreciates. So when you buy a condo, there's really not much appreciation except for the view. That's why you have to buy something that's an unobstructed, amazing view. That's what will go over, will go up over time. But the building, again, gets tired, it gets dated. There's always another building that's coming up. So LA has never really been a condo city like you know New York or whatnot because it's just a different animal. But then we had, uh, let's say, I guess, a run of developers building up these magnificent condo projects built by famous architects like Robert A.M. Stern and whatnot. And then they kind of got cool and people started buying them. Now that all of the good projects have been purchased, meaning there's not really any other new buildings to come up. We're kind of just sitting with the inventory we have. And then we have COVID, which strikes, and people aren't really getting excited about buying in buildings with elevators and whatnot. In fact, people are trying to get out of the city and get more space. So at the moment, we have basically a couple of buildings that are sitting empty because, well, frankly, they came on the market too high to begin with. Um, but then we have the COVID and now they're just sitting there. There are a couple of buildings that were sold out before COVID, which just had a couple apartments left, but because the comps were already uh, solidified in those buildings, those units are, are getting uh, purchased and bought up. Brad, do you want to comment on what's happening in the downtown Toronto market based on what Josh has said? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, last year we did see about 10% in the 416 I would say about 10%, the value of condos fell largely uh, from people who were landlords who panicked and sold Airbnb hosts that panicked and sold. And I think to some extent, people that were living in condos panicked and sold and bought houses in, you know, the 905. All those people are out of the market now. They pretty well were gone by November in our market. 
And we saw the um, number of condos for sale peak in October, about almost 4,000 condos on MLS last year in October. That's really like an all-time high for October. It's now come down to around 1,200. It's actually gone down every month, every week from January 4th, which is not typically what happens usually from January 4th, which is the lowest inventory day of the year. We see an increase of 100 to 200 units a week, and we've seen a decrease of about 50 units a week. So we're now at a point where all of the 10%, if it was 10% on average loss of value has been uh, recuperated, and we're now actually sitting at prices higher than last February. And our market, our uh, condominium market is as hot as I've ever seen. It's insane. I I can tell you that uh, I expect condominiums to rise between uh, 15 and 25% this year over last year. It's a very, very tight marketplace. And I would say this about what Josh said. So I, I think Josh probably mostly sells houses. You're right to say that land appreciates and, and the finished real estate doesn't. But in the condominium market, that's not exactly true because the cost of building high rise is a lot more expensive than the same value of low rise. You know, we're at $400 a square foot in the hard cost and, a you know, Townhouse might be $200 a foot. So what happens is that the cost of construction keep rising. So the, the value of the structure rises too in the high rise, mid rise condo market. So we are seeing land values rise in the condo market as a percentage of the overall value, but we're also seeing the structure rise too. Okay, and you're, you're suggesting like 15 to 20% increase in condo prices for 2021. Is there any kind of geographic dispersion? Like, is are you saying like right in the downtown core, like King West, et cetera, is, is coming back as well right away? No, it's everywhere. For instance, you know, we put a condominium on the market in the East End in, in one of the new buildings we just finished. And we had eight offers and it sold uh, for $1,250 a square foot. The, the, uh, the buyer of it bought it five years ago for $540 a square foot there was more people than units and, and uh, we're launching a project, uh, 220 unit uh, building that I'm going to start construction on in September. We're launching it on, on Tuesday and we're at an average of 1370 a square foot on King East at Sherburne. And I can tell you that they're all going to get taken up on Tuesday. We've got thousands and thousands of real estate agents registered for units uh, we will probably sell 3,000 units. We've got 219 to sell. And that's at 1370 an average in the East End. So the marketplace is as hot as I've seen in 35 years. Wow. Okay. Uh, we'll go to Brian and then Barry. So we launched two new projects this past year, um, two luxury projects, and they're selling probably around 3,000 a foot, a little more, a little less. And what we're finding is that purchasers are combining units. You know, they're coming into the space and combining units, um, which were already large units. So there has been a pent up demand for what I call real luxury. Some people call their projects luxury. They're not really luxury projects, real luxury projects with the services and the ceiling heights and the, you know, fancy ovens and things like that, La Cornu and things like that. But what's happening is those same purchasers are also buying huge lake houses that we're doing in Muskoka. So the Muskoka market has gone completely crazy. Uh, uh, We've never seen anything like it with the prices. 
And um, it's just shocking when we see what's going up there. I mean, that used to be, it was always a prestige area, but now you're seeing cottages, you know, Barry can speak to that, 10, 20, $30 million cottages. I mean, it's quite unbelievable up there. And um, there's a shortage of that property also. So there's a shortage of luxury and there's a shortage of that stuff that people are thinking, okay, I don't know how long this is going to go on, but if I'm going to be in a condo, I need a backyard somewhere. I need some outdoor space. So we're seeing a huge demand for uh, lake houses in the country. There's just nothing out there. You know, they're literally knocking on doors to buy properties. They're going by boat around the lakes just to buy these properties. But, um, and some people are, are keeping their houses until this is all sort of subsides before they commit to the condo. Um, we're seeing that also. They might be staying in their house and saying, let's see what happens before I, I commit to moving out of my house with my garden to a condo. Okay, Barry, and then uh, Jennifer. I think it's the COVID effect that has probably created this shift of, am I buying a condo? Am I leaving my condo? Am I going to freehold? Or am I coming back to condo? But I think the underlying problem that everybody has to recognize is still the same message we've talked about year after year. There's just no available developable land for condo and freehold, and they've got to free up the land and make the process easier. I think Tim can talk about that. I think you talked once before about opening up the Oak Ridges Marine. And I think that's the only way we're going to see prices, you know, stabilize if, if, if that can happen. This is all exasperated by, you know, immigration, wealth transference, parents are passing millions off to their kids. You know, even the plumber that paid uh, $300,000 for his home, you know, 20 years ago can afford that's worth two and a half million can afford to give his daughter or son a $300,000 down payment. So this trend is going to continue until there's more supply. Okay. Ms. Keysmack. Well, that was almost like a perfect lead in. <laughs> I will say this is a very strange conversation because Benjamin gave a really good overview of how we've had this accelerated accelerated divide. People who've lost job have primarily have primarily been low income earners and on the flip side people who have done really well for lack of a better way of putting it during the pandemic are people who already have a lot of money. So far we've been talking about the people with a lot of money. That's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about the luxury market and there's an enormous portion of the population the GTA that would, you know, their heads would be spinning to listen to this conversation because it's so flippant irrelevant to the housing situation that they find them in, including uh, I think the aspiration, as Tim said, for more space and thinking about home in a different way. I think that's something that is across every single socioeconomic category. And if you think about it, it's the people who, quite frankly, need more space. The family with two kids living in a condo on Davisville that have the least amount of access to getting more space. And I think that's something that we have to talk about this we'll talk about when we talk about housing, because it presents a phenomenal risk to the region. So, you know, we have to sort of talk about both things that are happening here in the market. Thank you for listening to part two of Post City Magazine's Real Estate Roundtable brought to you by the Remax Collection and Great Golf. To hear the panel discuss the impact of remote working on the real estate market, please download part three 